Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of The Student Perspective. In this episode, we'll be looking at the modules we studied for the first year of law at the University of Bristol, what we studied, how we were taught, and just our general experiences and opinions on that first year as a whole. So starting things off, let's just introduce what we actually studied and what degree we're doing. We're both doing a law LLB, and unfortunately, <laughs> I'm one of those people that didn't even know what an LLB was until like midway through the year. Isru. Please tell me I'm not alone here, man. No, don't worry. I was in the same boat as you. Uh, law LLB actually stands for a Bachelor of Laws. That means it's the sort of traditional law degree that you do. It's not an honours, it's not a master's. Um, and part of an LLB is you do certain modules and certain of those modules, they make up a QLD. That's a qualifying law degree. Um, so if you want to run through the modules that... So in order QLD to get your up, qualifying law degree, you're your law degree must include criminal law, contract law, tort law, equity, constitutional and EU law. Fascinating thing about the University of Bristol is that you actually study four out of those seven units in your first year. And that's quite, I think that's quite uncommon for a lot of unis to, in their law course. Um, those four are criminal, contract, tort and constitutional. And another thing about Bristol is that constitutional gets split up into two. You have law and state, and you have constitutional rights. Personally, I'd rather they merge into one, shorter, small one, because I'm not a huge public law fan, but we'll get into that a lot more when we over, when we go through more in depth on the units as a whole. So Israel, what units did we do in our first year of uni as a whole? So we started off with introduction to law, which was like the first two weeks. And then after that, we had the other five units running simultaneously. You, uh, you had criminal law, contract law, law and state, constitutional rights and tort law um and as mentioned, yeah if you want to go all into of those are qlds right yeah that's required. so we didn't realize at the start but that's like no i don't think any other uni offers that yeah i think we'd have to look into that but i agree I don't, I, I don't know any other uni that straight up offers it like that so yeah as you mentioned introduction to law it is what it says on the box it is an introduction to law it's kind of to ensure you're not thrown into a deep end when you're coming to uni to study law because law can be quite overwhelming. It's like for students like Israel and me, we've never been exposed to studying law before. So having an introduction to law where you're looking at cases, where you're discussing, where you're going to tutorials and lectures. So it's not only an introduction to law, but it's an introduction into that university life. Like you're not just going to classes with a teacher teaching you things. You have to do a lot of reading. You have to go to your tutorials. You have to discuss it, question on your opinions. You have to argue a lot. Not argue, but debate. I think that's a better word to use. It's that Socratic yeah. kind of method. Um, but no, overall, it was a good little introduction. Israel, do you have anything more to add on that? Yeah, and it was also our sort of first time doing coursework at uni, yeah, which was true. a big thing because it's a lot different to um, exams that we were used to at A-level. It's a lot more independent. It's a lot more just, here's a brief, here's what you need to do. And we were yeah. not given that much in terms of... Um, like a, a formula to follow it was just here's the structure that typically you use for answering problem questions and then the other question in the coursework was an essay and it was just you've got the content you just got to sort of start writing it now and that sort of took us by surprise I think I don't know about yeah. you but it's I mean it's interesting it you like say that, that we were given a problem question structure because I, I don't remember actually get, oh the IRAC method the issue rule application was it and conclusion all right yeah that's the kind of loose structure you're given yeah. but like for people like you and me and i'm sure a lot of the other students we've never done a law problem question essays i'm sure everyone's done an essay by now so you kind of know what you do you get but you get a question or you get a statement and you have to debate that argue it one way or another or a more complex kind of balance but problem questions are quite different it's your first exposure to them and the fact that you've kind of just given them like here you go, this is a kind of loose structure, go get it done. I think that was a little bit overwhelming, a little bit, because I remember us two being quite confused, like how do we structure this, do we use head subheadings, do we, do we, how, like it was just a, it's a, it's a weird thing to figure out, but as far as um, how scary it is, it's only a pass fail, there's no real mark, and I think that really helps take away some of that pressure, and it's just one of the thi one of those things, like they're not trying to catch you out here, they're just trying to, See if you can do the basics. Can you write an essay? Can you use your initiative to look at these laws and find a conclusion and apply them? It's kind of like, have you woken up to uni life? Because especially if you look at a backdrop of the first two weeks, everyone's in freshers, you're getting used to living in a new place away from home. 
you know there's a lot of new things learning to cook again maybe not learning to cook but cooking and balancing going out and now uni and all these things so i guess it's just more of a warm-up like here you go you're at uni take two weeks to wake up all right you're awake let's get into the bulk i think that's that, that's what it is as well as just a overview of what you can expect to study throughout the year kind of thing yeah i agree definitely worth doing definitely worth doing so following that like Isri mentioned, we went into the bulk of the units. Uh, first, we're going to discuss criminal law, arguably one of the most popular units. I think I think everyone loves criminal law. I, don't, I haven't met anyone who doesn't. I think even if you go to like most people, like what do you know about law? They're going to say, oh, it's got crime. You see a judge with a gavel saying guilty, guilty, guilty. You know, it's very, there's, a, there's a, just a natural appeal of criminal law. I think it's something to do with like people watching, people listening to true crime podcasts. People watching crime shows, detective shows. There's just a certain appeal and intrigue when it comes to crime and criminal activity. That just makes it so appealing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where there's a lot more to the surface when you come to criminal law than just the crimes that you know about that have been sort of popularised through Hollywood and movies and TV shows. There's a lot more to uncover when you actually study it. So our course centred around sort of criminal liability. And um, that is essentially what actually makes you responsible for committing a crime. And it might seem obvious, but you'd be surprised at the lengths that the law goes to to actually convict someone and what fine details can separate someone being guilty or not. And, uh, and, not. And, then you th- and then you talk about the role of intention, whether you actually intend to commit the crime that you go on to do. That plays a massive role in, um, in sorting out two Latin phrases called the mens rea, which is the mental element of a crime, and the actus reus, which is sort of the act of actually committing the crime. And you need to have both of those two aspects working together in order for you to actually commit the crime. One on its own is just not enough. So it was that sort of deeper understanding that we cultivated in our first year that it was like, well, there's, this is one of the more interesting bits of law, just maybe because of the types of crimes and the types of laws that we went on to uncover in criminal law, but just the amount of fascination that we had about just the interesting types of crimes you can commit and that we studied in our first year. Yeah, so some of those things that you're mentioning crime-wise, you're looking at types of homicide. That's one of the big things, one of the most interesting. Homicide, effectively, you're talking about murders and manslaughter. And the central difference between those two is if it's someone's committed a murder, you're given a life sentence. There's no, there's no question. You've committed murder which is like you killed someone, you intended to do it, without the other stuff of defences, that is murder. And then you're given a mandatory life sentence. And when you're looking at manslaughter, where it's more like you might not have intended to do it, but someone still died. So if I was to punch Israel in the head really hard, with no intention to kill him just to cause him more pain, and he dies from that, that would be constructive act manslaughter, depending on other things, of course. But with manslaughter, there's no mandatory life sentence. The judge has some sort of discretion to choose what life sentence he thinks, what not not life sentence, sorry, what sentencing the judge thinks you deserve. It's not as straightforward or black or white as now you killed someone, mandatory life sentence. That's murder and manslaughter differs from that. Um, another thing we looked at is property offences. So you're looking at theft, burglary and robbery and also fraud, which uh, which is a good little topic. I think we both can say like we did really enjoy that as a as a unit in crime, criminal law. Yeah, property offences, I, I really... I took a shine to just because the uh, the level of requirements that you need to commit something like theft, like before I studied law, I always thought theft was just taking something that didn't belong to you. And then you realize that theft actually has sort of five elements. And um, you can satisfy one of those elements without actually thinking that you're actually committing a crime. You can pick something up that doesn't belong to you and you've satisfied one of those elements. And if you go on to commit all five without actually even intending to steal you've still committed theft it's yeah there's a case like that isn't there where there was a a worker in a shop that well he had an intention to steal something later on so he moved the item in the store to steal later on but that was still regarded as theft because he appropriated the rights of an owner by moving the item for later yeah it was he even though the the physical appropriation was to steal it the second time around, just by moving it, that counted as a first appropriation. And that just goes to show the depth that criminal law offers in terms of study. 
and just how interesting you like the differences are in terms of what you can actually do and what the law actually expands to allow yeah i think and uh, another two units you study within that well these are just two of the more highlighted ones sexual assault is one and general assault so looking at battery and assault and well non-fatal offenses but um criminal overall very enjoyable very enjoyable i think there are the thing is that kind of stood out to me with criminal law quite a bit is some of the cases are really quite disturbing really disturbing i think there's certain ones that really stick out to me like like i don't know it's just it's interesting to learn about it piques your interest but then um i can't think of any specific ones right now but in general there are some ones that just really like how can you do that like oh there wasn't there a father that got angry at his son for crying he threw him against a wall yeah and then he he killed him because he was trying to get him to stop crying yeah and it's like some of these things they open your eyes to the reality of the world obviously we're not i i hope no one is living a life like that we're quite sheltered from stuff like that so when you learn about criminal law you're kind of exposed to a darker side of humanity and i guess that's where a lot of the intrigue comes from as well it's like you're finding out something new and you're getting a real exposure into this darker side and that's just intriguing so yeah and also um another thing that's quite quite, yeah sorry go on I feel like with criminal law, one of the big overlaps is sort of with like morality and that is yeah. like the role of intention. It really increases the focus on that. There's a lot of academic writing that you go through just in, in your textbooks, just about like what crimes are moral, what yeah. punishments are moral and if the punishment fits the crime just in general or specifically to certain aspects of criminal law, which is like another avenue that you can go down and research as part of tutorials that we had to do, which was really interesting. Yeah. Well, moving on from criminal law, which is obviously one of the favourites, to one that is definitely not one of the favourites. I don't think it is for you or me, and that is law and state. This is one of the ones that comes under that constitutional branch. This is more political in nature. It's a pub. It's public law. You're looking at government, public bodies, how the judiciary interacts with the with parliament and the executive, and how that fits into the image of a government overall. And you're really looking at how they hold accountable how they interact, the relationship, and just the general constitutional foundation of the UK in, from a legal perspective, but also while maintaining that political focus. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know you're not the biggest fan, and I know I'm not either, so... Yeah, it's, it's one of those where if you've studied politics or you have an interest in politics, yeah, it's definitely something that you'll take more of a shine to. It's one of those where it is difficult initially because there's so much processes and so much things that you have to learn and understand. But if you're some if you're someone who's in the know-how, or even if you had no knowledge of it, by the end of it, you appreciate what you actually take from it, which is more of a, a background and understanding of how things work, how the different mechanisms yeah. of government work, how that interacts with courts and how laws are made, especially in the UK. Yeah. And that gives you like an overview of the legal landscape of the UK more at a institutional level. Yeah, I agree with you when you say like, if you have a natural interest in politics, it's something you will definitely enjoy. And I think like for me, I've never, I've never been too into politics. I've tried to get into it, but I get into it for a bit and then it's like, eh, it's not my thing. I don't know. But there's, there's things that you miss out on conversations in that subject as a whole. Like I remember when we were learning about special advisors, right? Um, there was a discussion going on within my seminar how Dominic Cummings, Boris Johnson's special advisor, runs the country behind the scenes. And I'm looking at the conversation like, what are they talking about? I don't know what the hell's going on. Who Who's Dominic Cummings? And I was just so lost about, like, now that the whole him driving to, Bar- was it Bernard Castle or wherever he drove to, and all this yeah. thinking about, oh, he's a special advisor, Boris should fire him, oh, no, Boris um, is under his control. Now I know what it means. So I think... Law and state brings in, it really does bring in that political thing, not just about bigger things like government and stuff like that, and like the judiciary. You're also looking at little things like how special advisors influence policy and what their role is in the broader image of a government and the constitution. And when you kind of see those things pairing up with what you're seeing on the news, is it really allows you to zoom out and appreciate the subject. I did not like this subject a lot of the time, but when things like that, when what you're, when the theory you're studying, clicks with the reality you're seeing on the news there's just something quite 
appealing about that. There's something like, oh, I'm glad I learned that because now this pairs with that and ah, oh, poof, it makes sense. It's like a eureka kind of moment, you know. It's just, it's yeah. it's a very um, sat- it's satisfying. It's very satisfying to have them match up. Especially since like a lot of the news that was happening whilst we were at uni was focused around Brexit, and Brexit plays a massive role in yeah, our yeah, yeah, law and state uh, unit. There were multiple lectures, multiple tutorials on it. And we were actually, our, le- our first ever lecture at Bristol was happening the day of the second Miller case, Miller number two. Yeah. Which was like that a basketball case that a bunch of the law and state professors were sort of tweeting about and talking about behind the scenes and, and they were getting all excited. And we were sitting there like, what are they talking about? Like, yeah. how are they so excited about just this court case that's going on? And then we went on the study and realised, oh, this is, this is why it's so important, yeah. just for Brexit and the country in general and i think that that again just comes back to how much of an interest you take into politics anyway because i'm sure many of the students who have a political background or as in study politics and just enjoy politics in general they're going to know of what's going on with brexit because a lot of people do keep up with that a lot of people are in the know-how about this what's going on with brexit oh the government's been challenged this way it's going to go to court how is this going to so for them to learn something or be able to bring that passion for politics into a subject this would just naturally align with their interests and it would just work great for them. But for people like you and me who, well, I'm going to assume that this is you too, we just take a more interest into the private law, which is more your contract taught as opposed to the public law with constitutional mm-hmm. rights and more the government thing. It's just not in our interest. But it's still interesting and quite um, rewarding to learn about in the long term. And yeah, what you're saying about Brexit, it's massively Brexit focused. And that's reflected in the fact that that was our coursework question. Our coursework question was centered around Brexit and how that would affect um, reversing the constitution. And just a note on that, actually, Law and State was the only one this year that was supposed to be a coursework exam. Obviously, the corona situation made all of our exam assessments into exam replacement coursework. So they got, they were changed into coursework, but this was one that was always supposed to be coursework. And I think that that coursework really complements this subject. The fact that you can use what you learn, but go deeper and look into all those academic articles and really, really hone in on all those things. I think that really complements that is course. Yeah. yeah, it's the nature of having a subject that's politically focused, yeah. where you're going to have a lot of criticism and academic writing and arguments about the way that certain policies have been put in place, the way that certain political parties have come into government and changed the legal and sort of constitutional landscape. And how yeah. we had, as part of our studies, we had to look into that, look at conflicting arguments, look at trying to formulate our own opinion based off of that, which was that traditional coursework style, university research yeah. um, heavy type of study. <laughs> Very research heavy. I remember, I remember us two discussing this quite a bit. We'd, um, especially at the start, when I saw this question, I'm like, what does this even mean? I was so lost. I'm like, what? what's so spe- special about 1972? And then I realized that's when the ECA was enacted. But... It's like I started from, I didn't know what the hell I was going to write. And then I read so many articles. I read so much. And then by the end of it, I can now go and discuss, oh yeah, Brexit will affect our, our UK, the UK and the fact that it will challenge what parliamentary sovereignty is like, if it's going to reverse and this, that. You're going to look at what this means for the general uh, human rights view. And there's a lot of things that I can now discuss that I couldn't before. So it's nice to be able to join in conversations that I would have no knowledge on before, which is just, I think that's just the beauty of learning in general, but specifically about this, because politics is obviously always going to be a big thing. So to know a bit more about it is always going to be nice to be able to discuss it. And just what you were saying about the fact there's so many contrasting academic opinions, I think that all comes down to the fact that this is a very theoretical subject. You look at contract where it's more formulaic, it's more methodical. You have is there an agreement? Is there this? Is there this? Is there this? It's more of a yes, no flow chart kind of thing. Whereas this is more like the government have done this or one judge said this or this has happened. What does this mean for the bigger picture? You're more looking at this has happened. What does this mean? And what is your interpretation on what this means? And I think it's very theoretical when you compare it to a more practical subject like tort and things like that. I think that's reflected in the fact that it's more opinion based than it is like case based. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. There's a lot of European overlap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, you have to consider the importance of Europe alongside the UK, which is something that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I never really considered when I was starting the law degree. I thought we would just be learning about sort of UK law. I knew EU law would come into it because it's one of the QRD subjects, 
But mm. I thought that would just be in its own right. But then you realise the yeah. influence and overlap that it has with constitutional rights, more public law yeah, based. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and also mention just going back to I remember you mentioning how it gives you a look into how laws are made. And I think this was this was another interesting thing for me. I don't know if you can agree with this, but I'm sure many of the people listening or whoever is listening, when I was like in college and going to uni, I always was under the assumption that laws are made by the people in power, the government. The government write they have their they have a like they write the laws, you know. They're not sitting there writing on a scroll or anything, but they, they write the laws, it's their laws, it's the government's laws. But then when you learn law and state and even all the the units as a whole, actually, you learn that it's what the judges say. It's how court cases turn out. It's those subtleties in every case that affects how the law is. Because and most of the time, especially well, maybe not so much for these public laws one, but for contract tort, it's very much based on what the judges say, which is what becomes law. And that's the central focus of law and state. Like how much should the judges affect the law and how that ties into government social policy direction and what that means for that greater picture of the constitution and where does the judiciary sit with government if they can make laws and overall when you zoom out it is an interesting subject when you're learning about those specific little details about special advisors and little things like that i think that's where i personally was like "Mm, it's not for me but finishing it off i did enjoy it as a whole and i'm glad i studied it would i study it next year if i could no would i go back and study it again yes because i think i've come out with it with I don't know I think I've come out with come out of it quite well actually. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where we struggled in the beginning. I think just yeah. to get our head around it, but by the end, it's it's been a rewarding experience. Yeah. Overall. So moving on from law and state, then it's brother or sister, if you will, constitutional rights. These overlap considerably, especially when you're looking at the judiciary and things like that. What constitutional rights is the central focus here? is on human rights and the Human Rights Act and judicial review. What are my rights as a citizen and how can I enforce them against the government or even employers, actually? So, yeah, it's it's primarily focused more on, like, private citizens. If you consider law and state as the law of government and the law of public yeah. bodies and the law of institutions, this is how those institutions' uh, actions influence and interact with the rights of private citizens. It's more focused... I feel like on human rights, which is a big thing that a lot of people would know about and relate to because it's sort of like always on the news. It's like a big topic of debate. Yeah. And it's about, we study things like the Human Rights Act, yeah. which is um, often quoted by a lot of people. And then we study, a big thing we study is like judicial review. We started off with that um, in, in September and October. And that was sort of the more procedural remedies that the citizen has against their rights being infringed. And I feel like for both of us, at least, we found it quite tedious just because it was a long process of multiple lectures just on this one topic that was very content heavy in the sense of the different aspects that you need to go through and the different steps. And that wasn't as interesting, maybe, as perhaps as we went along, especially after Christmas, we started going into the more topic based aspects of uh, constitutional rights like. Uh, the individual rights that you actually examine in the Human Rights Act and the Equality Act and how they interact. And then if you want to go into maybe those different relationships. Yeah, yeah. But just quickly mentioning how um, just um, we did, I didn't think we got into judicial review straight away, September, October. I think that's a bit early. I think just um, give them a better idea. I think you, we started off with like rule of law and stuff. So you're looking at, well, it's just more constitutional basics and you're looking at the rule of law, which I still, I'll be honest, I still couldn't give you a definition. I'd, if I revised it, I could, but you go in to look at rule of law, then yeah, judicial review. But it's, I, I remember you saying once how it's kind of important you know the basics before going into the rights, like how can you actually enforce them? Not just what your rights are, but what is the enforcement procedure? So I think it's important to know for that. But yeah, like you said, we we're all very tired of it by the end. Well, us two are at least. I don't know about everyone else. But yeah, like you were saying, the latter half of the course after Christmas, way, way better, way more interesting and personally way more engaging. You're looking at more of the specific rights, your right to liberty, your right to freedom of expression, your right to, your right, like free, um, I can't even think of another one, but you're looking at your personal rights and things like that. And I think the most interesting part of that is not only learning about the rights and what rights you have, but how different rights interact and conflict. So just to give you a list, some examples, you're looking at how freedom of religion conflicts with 
like someone being homosexual and not 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 discriminating against that. There's um there's a ca there's a case called the the gay cake case where a man walked into a shop and he wanted to get a cake baked with the text that said um, legalized gay marriage or something along those lines, and the whole case is looking at whether that's discriminating against the cake uh, against the person who's asked for the case cake or if it's more of do the bakers have a right from their of their is it their right as part of their right freedom of expression to not um, endorse a view that's not theirs and that's interesting to learn about you're also looking at how freedom of expression conflicts with religion like what can i say against islam or christianity and how offensive or malicious can i be about that without having to while whilst respecting their freedom of religion but I think the biggest one here that was, I think, most polarizing, actually, is when you're looking at anti-terrorist legislations and their rights to liberty. Like, if I'm detaining someone for six months, obviously I'm, I'm um, restricting their right to liberty. And it was really interesting seeing that debate of how much you can restrict their liberty and why you can't, why you can. I think that's the morality that brings in is way more interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, just for us, in terms of what we studied, we studied a lot of the conflicts in, um, I think it was Northern Ireland, right? Um, and how prisoners in were history, detained yeah, yeah, by the U um, the troubles by the UK, and how that went on to influence like legislation that was brought in in terms of periods of like people being detained, and how yeah. um, sort of it was it was it was almost like impact legislation was brought in at, sh at a, a short term level to rapidly change the way that people were detained and how that influenced whether their human rights were actually being infringed and the relationship between that and the fact that the Human Rights Act hadn't been passed and how with, I remember a lot of debates happening in tutorials where people were discussing what the outcome of those cases would have been if the Human Rights Act was in force at the time and, and the, different, um, the different judgments that could have happened if more recent legislation, more liberal legislation had been passed. That was yeah. an interesting... Um, interesting avenue for debate i felt like yeah well just to wrap this up anyway constitutional rights and we've got to mention this criminal law and constitutional rights unlike law and state is an exam assessment we would have had to sit an exam unfortunately because of coronavirus that got changed to a coursework based thing but we still had the same layout so what that looks like is you're given a list of essay questions maybe like four or five and a list of problems a list of scenarios where you'd have to apply mm -hmm. the law, and that, those are problem questions. For criminal law, you'd have to do one essay question, a statement and write an essay, and a problem question. Same with constitutional rights here. You'd have to do one problem question and one essay. Um, yeah, some of, and, and just comparing that to contract and tort for a minute, they are more... The fact how we were mentioning how they're more methodical and more structured, they have a more... You could do two problem questions, which we will go on to discuss, and we're going to get on to that now. Um, contract law. This is the best one. This is my favourite. This is undoubtedly the top tier of first year law modules. This is it's a beautiful, beautiful subject. I don't know if you can tell, but I really like it. Um, and I think the big reason why I like it so much is its structure. It's, 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 so, it's more structured, it's more methodical, it's more formulaic. It's, more, it's got a great application to, real, to everyday life. When you look at law and state, like this happened in the court. This judge said this. How does this tie to that bigger picture of the Constitution? This is more like anyone can make a contract. I can make a contract with Israel right now. And it's like the everyday application, the practicalness of it, rather than the theory. Like, it's not so much theory as it is more um, like practical application. I think that's reflected in the fact that the exams, you can do two problem questions. You're not required to do a problem question and an essay because the focus is more, for me, on that, steps that flow chart kind of is there an agreement is there this is there this what does that mean for the contract and also i i think you you're the same here we're both more interested in that commercial law avenue right yeah i agree i mean there's a lot of overlap in terms of just with um commercial law and the law of business almost contracts are an important part of any corporation and the and the different rights and obligations that you have in terms of enforcing those contracts and especially 100%. um just recently in terms of events with coronavirus, we, like one of the topics we go on to, um, to study in first year is frustration. That's when an event happens that prevents um, parties to a contract from performing their obligations. And one of the 
the, the biggest, most probably widespread effects of that was the coronavirus. A lot of people would have made contracts to perform certain obligations over the summer, and then a pandemic hits, and now suddenly they can't do any of those. And it's about what remedies are, are available for the parties, what terms did the parties start those contracts on, um, the presence of exclusion yeah, clauses in those contracts. And, and things as well. Yeah, protects interest, protects rights. If money was already, uh, if money had already exchanged hands, what consideration was given already? What part of that would be returned to the parties that were paid? There's a lot of practical yeah. application with the subject, and it's a lot broader, I feel like, than public law, which centered around yeah. the UK. This is more internationally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I agree. Actually, yeah, it is got broader application. It's just it is more appealing if you have a, a more a greater interest in commercial law. And, things like that in business and finance and just things like that, I think. But also, um, just talking about it as a, from a, like a more foundational viewpoint, it's all about agreements. That, that, I think we can both agree that's probably the yeah. centre of contractual law. You're looking at, is there an agreement? So you're first looking at, is there an offer? Have I made an offer? Let's say Israel and I have, we, we're going to make a contract. Have I offered him something? All right. No, have I made an offer? All right. Has he accepted the offer? But you're also looking at, is there intention to create legal relations? So just to, put that into perspective if i'm making an agreement with my mum, like mum, can you give me five pounds so i clean my room if she agrees to that i'm sure we can both agree there was no agreement for us to be bite for that to be binding in the law we were just talking as a mother and son it's more domestic it's not formal so you also need to have that intention to create legal relations to prevent the law like going into someone's home and like putting legal laws in someone's home the law's quite the law doesn't want to do that and they that, that's reflected in that and finally, you're looking at is there consideration? Have I, and I think a judge put it like one person needs to make a loss while one needs to make a benefit. What am I losing? What's he benefiting? Or what am I giving? What is he giving? So you're looking at, that's the foundational point of a contract. Yeah, it's just, if we just build upon that, you're talking about offer exceptions. There's so much more than just a standard offer. You can have offers that aren't necessarily yeah. made verbally. You can have offers that are rescinded and if that offer still stands depending on how that offer was revoked you have different forms yeah. of acceptance yeah. you have um, uh, to build on intentions to make legal relations you've got the difference between commercial settings and a domestic setting and in what aspect of a domestic setting can a contract actually yeah. be enforceable is there a history of a domestic sort of relationship like a mother and a son having a formal business relationship in that sense you could argue that they probably have a more of a chance of enforcing that contract in court. There's just so much branching off that you could do with these different things. Yeah, and you mentioning that, I think you bring up a good point, actually, a very important point, how you said, is there a history of a mother and son having a business relationship? And I think that's, that's a big point of contract law, which you will come to know, is that it's not what a governor, or sorry, an MP has written. It's has there been a case like that in the past? What has the outcome been? And what is the new precedent that is set? And I think it's really good you mentioned that because I think that is a point we need to touch on. This is very focused on, has there been a case like that in the past? How much do the facts of that case match up with the facts of the current situation? And from that, you, can't, you can kind of predict the outcome to an extent. How much does it match with that? And what does that mean for your case? So, yeah, that's a big point to bring up. That's a very big Yeah, because I feel like as much as people think that law is made up of sort of MPs and politicians creating new laws through statutes. A lot of that, a lot of just people in government are very reluctant to create new laws just off the cuff. That creates a whole lot, a whole more problems than yeah. it solves, I feel like. Case law and the development of case law, yeah. it shows you the importance that the, a judge and the wider role of the judiciary has. They've got to interpret what, and yeah. it could be a century old principle they have to interpret that in light of, of the modern day, how technology advances and how that affects how that, that principle could be. It could be a written letter yeah. compared to an email and what similarities are there, what differences, can the same law still be applied or is there enough reason for new reform to be brought into that law? There's a lot of sort of that kind of thing. And it's, yeah, yeah and, and, that, and that's a very interesting thing. And that's a beautiful point about the law. The law is very dynamic. I think a lot of people are, well, I was under the assumption, a lot of people told me before uni, oh, you're going to have to read a lot of old books, you're going to have to read a lot of this, you're going to have to read a lot of that. And it's like, it's really not that. There is a lot of new things, because you have to consider, like, 
back in the day, a lot of contracts might have been made face to face. So I'd be sending Israel a letter, he'd be sending me a letter back. Whereas now I can email him and that's instant. What does that mean for accepting? Is that the same as writing a letter or is that the same as us being face to face? Yeah, because There's a lot of the law has to go with the times. And on top of that, that also brings in how much of a say should judges actually have? Like you said, what does that mean for the judiciary? And what does that mean for the, its relationship with like creating laws and just them interpreting the laws? And I feel like the law has to progress with times, but then the judges also have to somewhat stay in a constrained area of not going too far with it. But they also have to go too far with it. This is different from public law. Public law, they are a bit more restricted. But I think in private law, they have greater freedom to go and make those decisions. But they have to keep it in line with that social direction, social policy the government are advancing and where the times are. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because when laws are made, they often have certain sort of um, clauses within the law that allow for certain aspects or circumstances to be brought into consideration in relation to the facts of that law. But the issue with the rate that technology is advancing and the rate that different types of individual circumstances can interact with that makes it difficult. There's no fine, like there's no defined application that can happen when the law is hundreds of years old and hasn't been changed. And that, that I suppose as to the importance of cases and remedies and legal representation in general, you need to have a strong legal argument when you're making these kind of civil cases, because if it does fail initially, you need to address a different point of law when you appeal and you can have multiple appeals and I feel like there's a general trend I don't know if you agree where the higher up you go in the appeal process the more likely you are that judges will be inclined to create a new branch of case law that's evolving on from that old law well yeah yeah I guess that just does come down to how unique the argument is and how old the law is because if you're looking at a really old law and this is a unique case that hasn't been seen before, then it's much more likely the law will change to adapt to that more unique and more modern situation. It will go up to the Supreme Court where they'll be like, this law is very old. It doesn't really solve our situation in modern times. It's outdated. We need to modernise it. And then, they, yeah, they, they will, like, obviously, you have to go higher up in order for that to happen because a lower court can't... Um, reverse what a supreme court has done regardless yeah. of how old it is so yeah i agree or not even supreme court back then it was the house of lords but the same kind of top court idea so yeah you have to go higher up to do that and when you do get to that high point there's a high chance of that law being turned around and i think with modern times it has to do that in order to keep up but it's also i like how you mentioned how your argument is so important and i think that's key here i always like there's no right or wrong in law there's not well, there is, if you get a law completely wrong. You quote the law that wrong, yeah. wrong. But in terms of when you're doing an, a problem question, you're not, the, the, your, mark, your examiners aren't looking for, is this correct law? Is this correct law? Is this correct law? To an extent, they are, but it's more of, what do you know about the case? What do you know about the law? How does that match your current scenario? And, and how well can you argue that it does? Because it's not as, law is very, very far from being black and white. It's very, it's very grey, it's very grey. You're looking at how does this match with your case? How can you construe this to match your case? Where's the argument? Where, where do they align? And I think I was having this discussion with a friend and they were saying how, oh, it was coursework. Your exam was coursework. That's easy. Just look up the law and bing, bang, bosh, you're done. But it was like, you can look at the law all you want, but unless you understand the laws and unless you know where to find the cases and to find the precedent, you can't apply it to your scenario because there's very, very little subtleties that can change the outcome massively. It's like, if we talk about one of the units, one of the subunits you do is a mistake. You can make a mistake as to the identity of the person you're working with. And one of the big cases there is Shogun Finance. And that in that case, the judge made a distinction between a face-to-face -face transaction, a uh, contract, and uh, what's the other one? Just non-face-to-face, -face, right? Yeah, it was like, I think for, for that case, it was through a letter, but it's more sort of probably over the phone now. Right. Yeah, so it's like, what difference does that make as to who you're actually contracting with and how important is their identity? And there's little subtleties you have to understand the law in order to understand. But as I mentioned, mistake is one of those subunits. I personally kind of really enjoyed this. This did actually come up in our problem question in our coursework. 
And you're also looking at mistakes as to identity, mistakes as to what the contract is actually about. We could be talking about different things and we're still contracting about it. What does that mean for the overall contract? And yeah, contract law, definitely one of the top favorites. Yeah, totally. And, um, and maybe part of that is actually I loved my tutor. Yeah, I feel like it, it goes my without saying great. that the type of teachers and lectures and lecturers that you have for certain subjects, they do influence your enjoyment just because... Yeah. 100%. Not to like hate on any lecturers or tutors at the University of Bristol, but there are some that just naturally communicate the content to first-time students a lot easier than, or a lot better than certain others. It, it doesn't detract from right. their teaching ability, I don't I, think. It's yeah. more just you take a shine to certain lecturers and certain tutors, and that adds to sort of the um, enjoyment that you get out of each subject. Yeah, it's, it's just, they have different approaches. And the approach that my contract tutor had is, so obviously you set, you set a reading list, right? And you do your reading. And personally for me, and I, I think you are the same, I mean, we both are the same until like the last month or two where we just were decided not to do it. You're getting a reading list, you have a textbook to read and you have to make notes. So I would make my notes. I'd go to my tutorial and you have to answer the question. I make my notes and I have it set out my thing. And he kind of went through the reading somewhat, but he done it in a way that, it's not only have you read this, have you understood this? And he'll question you more and, and dig, just tap in a bit deeper. And he'd go through scenarios and he'd, it's really about challenging your ideas, challenging your understanding and having an open discussion. Whereas some of my other ones, I don't want to mention anyone here specifically, but one of the two I'm thinking about was very, very, um, I don't know how to describe it. I'd say strict kind of thing, but not strict, but stricter his method. It's like, he'll pick who says what. He'll ask the specific question and if you're not picked, you don't speak. It's very, I think it was, for me, it was kind of like a, it was like a, yeah. a primary school classroom, like, hand, not even hands up, it's like, you're speaking, no one else speaks. Well, yes, what's the answer? Yes, okay. It was more like that, and that just, that is it right. I prefer the open discussion, the, the more debate kind of method. So I think it does come down to the method and the teaching and who your yeah. tutor is. And I guess some of that's just luck and how much you, you uh, enjoy their teaching method. But moving on, Izaru, how about you introduce your favourite subunit or unit so taught, your module? So, so taught law was one that I really enjoyed just because I feel like it's got the positives of contract law in, this, in the way that it's, it's more procedural and more structured than some of the other yeah. ones. But the application to everyday life is immense. I feel like it's just so interesting. There's a lot of overlap with medical law. It actually influenced why I chose medical law as a unit for second year. It's, um, it's got that interesting criminal aspect of things that happen every day in the street around you when you're walking home. And you notice it, but you don't actually realise that, oh, that, that is technically a, a law being broken. That's technically someone's obligation being broken. And the whole yeah. nature of talk sort of revolves around this idea of a duty of care. Certain relationships, be it sort of yeah. informal or formal, you've got a duty of care. You've got care obligations attached to it like a mother and a son a driver and a pedestrian these are legal responsibilities yeah, yeah. like if broken you can sue in um in civil court and that brings in yeah, this whole yeah. idea of like negligence negligence is like if you've broken that responsibility if you've been negligent in the in your responsibility and someone in some form has suffered for it either they've been physically injured or mentally or reputationally all of this stuff is stuff that you can sue for um, as a type of legal remedy. And I don't know about you, I think you really took a shine to it just because of like the whole aspect of us um, sort of investigating and reading about Hillsborough, which was a big thing that came across in talk. Yeah, that was one of the things. But just to come back to what you were saying about its everyday application, I, I totally agree there. It's one of those things, like you said, you're walking around everyday life, you see these things going on, it's like, just little things like you walk up past a construction site. What, who does that construct, who do those construction workers owe a duty of care to? If they drop something on my head, they obviously owe me a duty of care. And yes, it's nice, it's really cool exploring that. And like a pedestrian, what, and it's, it's like one of the things with pedestrians and drivers that I didn't learn until coursework is how much of a duty of care a driver has to pedestrians. Because they're in a very, well, somewhat of a very strong weapon compared to, like if I'm standing on the road, someone hits me with a car, I'm very much, despite all the, well, I don't have any, but if I did have big muscles, it still didn't help. A car's gonna, this car has me, you know? So it's interesting to see how the law 
like takes account of these little things and just this overall everyday application. But um, yeah, like you said, it is very, very linked with medical law. And that's obviously one of the reasons you picked. And one reason why I'm debating if I should try and change to do that, which I would love to do, actually. And Hillsborough. Hillsborough, for all my Liverpool fans out there, it was a big event where there was a, a tragic event in the stadium where many people died. And that kind of links to tort in the, in the sense of psychiatric harm. Although there was many physical injuries, there's also a lot of mental injuries that came with that. If my brothers and sisters were at the stadium and they got they suffered, what kind of impact does that have on my mental health? I'm going to become depressed, anxious, and that was very like interesting learning about because mental illness is a it's a very changing subject in the sense of if you go back maybe fifty years, it's like if someone's depressed, like oh, just man up, cheer up, what are you doing? Whereas now people really do appreciate how how massive it is. Like if someone's depressed now. Or someone's anxious yeah. and you have celebrities coming out, Stormzy, you have all these people coming out to talk about it. Even the princes, right? Princess Charles and Prince Harry done a whole program on it. And it's... Yeah, a lot of it's, charity work. The law well. has to adapt to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I feel like that sort of adds to why Hillsborough was so important because a lot of new law was formed just off of Hillsborough about psychiatric liability. Like, it had never been encountered before where a person would suffer sort of psychiatric illness because of a loss that they'd witnessed like through a TV or heard over the radio, that they'd suffered these mental illnesses because of um, hearing of the loss of like a family member or a friend. And it, it showed how the law is constantly needing to adapt. And especially it showed that sort of that social change, that important social change to become more inclusive of things that perhaps in the past were, were like more, it was sort of brushed under the rug, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Just 100%. because of the type of cases that were brought forth were too few and far between for necessary reform to have taken place. But for something like Hillsborough, although tragic in the sense that so many people died, there were, it was so many people to the point that this stuff couldn't go ignored anymore. And it showed how the law needed to reform in order to reflect that stuff, which, which I thought was just so important. Yeah, and quite interestingly, quite interestingly, if I remember right, Hillsborough actually didn't give too many people compensation for their psychiatric harm but it did awaken the need for it. Like, if you look at a lot of the cases now, a lot of them are trying to become a bit more inclusive. But it's one of those things where you've got to be careful. You can't just go and compensate anyone for any side. Like, you can't just... If I see Izaru getting hit by a car and I'm, like, mentally disturbed by that, like, some of it seems unfair to just let me compensate from that if it's not the driver's fault and if it's not... If I don't really know him either. But obviously, we're good friends. But still, how close is that yeah. relationship for me to justify, like... oh, yeah, you deserve to... I deserve compensation for you doing that. It's, you got to let the the law can't just help everyone and anyone. It's you know, it's not a charity at the end of the day kind of thing, but it's hard finding that balance. And on that topic, well, let me just quickly mention how sexual assault is a similar kind of thing. Not sexual assault specifically, but um, domestic abuse. Mm-hmm. Back then, it's, it was a lot, again, more taboo, more quiet. Now, as more domestic abuse cases come up, more attention is given to it, more protection the law changes to appreciate the mental harm domestic abuse does to a woman and what that, or male, sorry, and how that can manifest in criminal law. And the criminal law has to develop with that. And same here, tort has to develop with our emerging opinions and views on mental illness. And that's the beauty of the law. It's very dynamic and it has to keep up with the times. And it does. And even where it doesn't, it slowly will. Yeah, I feel like we studied that specifically in criminal law about sort of rape law and how that's evolved to become more sort of inclusive of different scenarios, not just the more traditional view that people had where it was only a man that could rape a woman. And then yeah. that also went on to influence like the impact of complicity, whether people were, other people were involved in the rape. And in the past, those people, because they weren't actively involved in the crime, wouldn't be prosecuted. They wouldn't have charges brought against them because they didn't actually contribute to the sexual act. But now... There's a lot more inclusion in terms of the responsibility that's being put onto people, regardless of if they committed the crime or not. If they actually participated in the crime, they in themselves are also breaking the law. And that sort of adds into the whole uh, aspect of inchoate offences in criminal law, which I know we're focusing more on tort law, yeah, but I just, I think... it just goes to show the how evolution of law is reflected in more responsibility being put in the things that really should have been put on in the past. I feel like that is, it's, yeah, it's very evident in tort law. 
And with us discussing how law changes with current times and current social policy and social opinions, I think a key part of that is what it brings up about the law is the law doesn't operate as a single entity outside of life. Um, certain cases and certain things, you have to zoom out to understand the why. There's like a criminal law. If they, like there was um, with when you're mentioning inchoate offences and complicity and parasitical um, accessorial liability, I believe. Or the law changed quite drastically, but that was because of a mother who really campaigned for her son. She campaigned against it. She had people supporting her. The tabloids were putting pressure on the courts and the people and the government. And it's like certain parts of the law, when you're just reading the cases, you're not getting that whole picture. You're just reading what they're saying. When you zoom out, you do that extra research, you reach, you read the academic article, you read the news, you see the behind the scenes, the greater picture that influences this, the social policy of the time, the reasons why things happen. Like when we're looking at frustration... I'm pretty sure a new law was made in 1940s, I think it was, because they realised, or, or it was either World War One or World War Two, whichever one, it might be 1940s or the time for World War One, where they made a new law because they anticipated that the World War would mean many contracts couldn't be completed. If you're just reading the law, you're not going to know that. Once you zoom out and you do that little bit extra research, things tie together a lot more and you get that greater picture of this is why the law has developed like this, this is why the judge made this somewhat landmark decision. And yeah, I think it's very important to zoom out sometimes in order to get that bigger, broader image. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's one of those things where um, law is one of those subjects where people, it, people give it this reputation of being quite boring, being quite stale, being quite reading old books learning a bunch of text yeah. and then just regurgitating it. Law is a dynamic subject in the sense of everything influences it and it influences everything. It needs to take into consideration politics. It needs to take into consideration history. It needs to take into consideration social arguments, the news, how reform and, and social events will influence how the law is made. It takes into consideration rights, human rights, how that influences the way nations interact with each other. It talks about you know the importance of EU and sort of pan pan um, international institutions. Everything is connected sort of through the law. You look at international law and domestic law. Everything is sort of interacting with each other at so many different levels, and that's something that maybe we've only got sort of the, a flavour for in first year. But it's something that at the end of first year, I personally thought was it shows you the value of actually going into law. Law degree is not. It shouldn't just be about you going on to pursue a career in like a, a lucrative career as a lawyer. It should just be about cultivating that understanding of how everything links together. And then you do come out of at least first year with the knowledge that you're more aware of the way that the world works and links together, which I think is really important just yeah. for individuals to know. And I think that's a, a, it's a slow appreciation kind of thing. There's yeah. been many times throughout the year where I've come to you and I've just complained about law. I've done this to my friends, I've done it to like, I've been like, I hate this, I hate this so much. But that just is maybe because I'm studying something I don't particularly enjoy. Like maybe there was a lot of law and state or constitutional rights focus where I'd just be like, I don't enjoy this, I don't want to do law. But then when I do contract again, or when I learn something interesting about constitutional, especially when we got to that latter year, learning about morality, I got to bring in my philosophy A level, and I got to explore those arguments in a legal perspective. And when you're looking at zooming in and zooming out and the bigger pictures, um, and when you come to the end of the year and you reflect on it, it's law has been a very eye-opening subject. It really opens your eyes. And I, yeah, I agree. Although a lot of people might walk into it like, oh, I'm going to come out with a lucrative job. It's not like that. And it shouldn't be like that. You should pursue it because you, gen you genuinely take an interest into what it's teaching, Absolutely. which is, I guess that's the whole point we're right now bringing this kind of podcast through. It's because we want to show you these are the units you're going to study this is what you're actually going to study. This isn't, it's not a, just a means to an end. It's also, this is what you're going to study. Do you think you will enjoy it? Maybe if you really don't like, like the way this is taught or anything, maybe go for a different one. Or if something like contract and tort and crim or law and state is like, you listen to it and you're like, oh, I love this. This seems so interesting. Then yeah, you should pursue it because it's something you would enjoy studying. Yeah, law is... And it's like, once you start enjoying the studying, it stops being a chore. Law, I feel like, just in general, but especially at Bristol, because of how many of the subjects we do at first year, which is a QRD, 
it offers a lot of specialization uh, possibility in second and third year. The amount of optional units that we can go on to pick, you can really specialize into the area of law that you want to go yeah. into. So if you do take a shine to criminal law and you think, okay, I want to go on to practice criminal law, maybe become like a criminal law barrister, you don't need to think that for three years, if you do a, if you do a traditional law degree, that you're going to be just reading through contract law and reading through contract law textbooks. You can go on to specialize in sort of human rights law, in, um, in um, sort of law and crime in society. You have that option to really hone in on the type of things that you like to do, which may be other subjects and other aspects of um, other degrees you might not be able to. So I think that's a big consideration to take into account when you're, when you're, when you're choosing what subject to do. Yeah, so I think we're going to have to wrap it up here, but just because we missed some of these things, I'm going to quickly say them. In tort, you also do occupier's liability, which is really, really interesting. You're looking at what duties you owe to either a visitor and even a trespasser. If I invite someone into my room and they get injured by something faulty that is my fault, they should be allowed to claim for it, and most of the time they do, depending on certain criteria. But what's really interesting about that is if someone, a robber, comes into my room and does something, or steals, attempts to steal something, something faulty that injures him or her, they have certain rights as well. They can claim against me, even though I didn't invite them there, they're robbing. So it's interesting to learn about that. And although that might seem unfair, you've got to look at some kids trespass without having any knowledge they're trespassing. Maybe an old blind person might trespass, and it's unfair if they can't, comp if they can't get compensation for mm -hmm. being injured by something faulty that they didn't intend to trespass on. So that's just another subject. Um, nuisance, you're looking at how your actions as a living in one house affects your next door neighbours or yeah. whoever and how that ties into law and duty of care. So that's just a quick overview of things like that. Is there anything else you want to quickly add about tour before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I mean, tour is... Tour, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. I know you enjoyed it a lot. Same. Yeah, 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 100%. Really good subject. But yeah, tour, I think the top three for me goes contract tour. as the first and then criminal and tour matching second. Yeah, I feel like um, I'm with you on that. But um, I think that's a good point yeah, to end on. Yeah. Good year. Yeah, all right. We know this got a bit long, one hour, so I really hope it was helpful. And hopefully you got to get that bigger image of what first year of law is like. And if you're going to a different uni or you're studying law in general and your uni doesn't do these in the first year, it's likely as they are QOD subjects, you will do them at some point. So it's nice and it will be helpful for you guys to maybe gain understanding of what that year, that subject will consist of for you and if you will enjoy it and if you take a shine to it. And even if you don't, maybe it's time you, maybe when you're listening to it, you're like, all right, I won't enjoy it. Let me zoom out of it, see what I can do to make myself enjoy it. What the social background is. And find the links with what you enjoy. Like if you like philosophy, what's the philosophical link with um, um, constitutional rights and maybe this can help you zoom out and help you find an interest in subjects you might not and overall it's just like although you might hate it now and hate that specific topic eventually by the end of the year you will appreciate having learned it and it will tie into a bigger picture that is quite helpful to know and very rewarding to have learned very rewarding yeah absolutely it's 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 really important to go on and research in terms of what university you are applying to if you're going to do law and what subjects they offer you in first year because it's not a, like a universal formula. Certain universities will prioritize certain subjects just for whatever reason that they choose to. But you will do a, all the subjects that you need to do for a QRD. But just if, yeah. like, I hope you can take from this episode at least what it was like for us to do these things. And if, it, if it's not something that's offered to you in first year of the university that you choose, you need to keep in mind that this is something that you can go on to choose in second year and third year. And it might be one of those things where having an understanding of law after your first or second year, may, it, it might even mean that you might enjoy these subjects even more in your third year, for example. So just keep that in mind. And um, yeah. 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 So um, again, a massive thank you for listening. And we really hope you did enjoy and find it useful. If there's anything you thought didn't find useful or anything you really disagree with, or you just want to tell us we're wrong for not liking public <laughs> law, Say it down below. If you're on YouTube, comment. If not, you can reach out to us on Instagram or come to the YouTube video and comment. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you're telling us we're wrong for liking contract, but that just can't be true. Um, yeah, it would really help you could give us a rating on whatever platform you're on. YouTube, leave a like or a dislike if you didn't like it and just tell us why. We'd love the criticism. 
we're starting off. We're hoping this is really helpful for everyone and we really want to get better and tailor this for you guys. So yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you guys like it or dislike it. Subscribe and just give us feedback and that you find it hope that you find it useful. That's the central central thing of this, honestly. Yeah, and just another thing: if you have any questions specifically about the subjects we've mentioned, because obviously yeah. we've we've recorded for an hour now, and we've covered, I'd say maybe twenty percent of each of the of the subjects in in enough detail. If you have any questions about some of the stuff we've talked about or anything that we haven't talked about that you might think will be included in those subjects. Leave in the comment section below. We'll get, um, we'll do our best to get back to you. If you want to get in touch with us personally, our social media is linked in the description. And yeah, we're a new podcast. We're just starting out. Ratings are so important for us, just in terms of us, like just helping us grow. If you think we've done a good job, leave engaging a like. like your opinion. Yeah, yeah. engaging what people think. Leave a like, subscribe. It costs nothing, and it really helps us out. But yeah. Uh, yeah and also one more thing i wanted to say um the following episode we'll be looking at lectures seminars tutorials so i know we mentioned that but we didn't go into depth with it the next episode will hopefully focus on tutorials seminars how much work there is the reading lists and things like that so if you thought we just missed it out it's because we're going to talk about the next one so hopefully check that one out to see this is what you do learn and then next episode will be like how you learn it and how it's taught and things so yeah that's it um see you on in the next one hopefully. yeah tune in see you guys